0: Educators want to stay fresh with literacy instruction, but are so busy with students, they don't always have the time. All year long, Choice Literacy publishes and delivers the best K-12 literacy practices so that educators can grow their students as readers and writers with choice in literacy. Welcome to the Big Fresh Choice Literacy Podcast. I'm Ruth Ayers. There are things you do because they feel right, and they make no sense, and they make no money, and it may be the real reason why we are here, to love each other. Brian Andreas Poetry and Magic by Ruth Ayers My childhood was filled with poetry and magic. Sometimes I wonder if poetry and magic goes hand in hand. In middle school, I stopped finding poetry magical. In high school, I started disliking it. By college, as an English minor, I found it ridiculous. By the time I found myself in a secondary language arts classroom, I was adept at sidestepping the genre as much as possible. As my understanding of how writers worked increased, I realized it was wrong for me to pass on my bad attitude about poetry to students. When I read Ralph Fletcher's Poetry Matters, I realized poems are small canisters to hold big meaning. The more I read Ralph's words, the more convinced I was that poetry could unlock doors for writers. As I opened my notebook and played with poetry, in a way that can only be attributed to magic, I found myself enjoying the process of writing a poem. It is because of students that I fell back in love with poetry. Student writers are amazing at capturing emotions, forming images and creating rhythm by stacking words. It is magical when teachers write alongside them. There are lots of resources for teaching poetry. The content on Choice Literacy is special because it comes from contributors who carry contracts with schools. They spend their days alongside kids, and rather than offering pre-packaged content, they share their learning with us. We trust it will allow you to empower student choice and voice in your corner of the world too. Be sure to check out the new Field Experience course, Writing Poetry with Elementary Writers. This is included with membership and available to purchase for everyone else. If you've wondered how to conjure the magic of poetry in your classroom, this course is a great place to begin. This week, we offer the second installment of poetry content, plus more, as always. We're sharing two articles in our free-for-all section about poetry. Tara Barnett and Kate Mills introduced their middle school students to a technique of mimicking the craft of favorite poems and poets. And Mandy Robeck finds quick poetry read-alouds are a great way to transition between activities in her second grade classroom and build a love of poems. I also shared a link to a community of writers called Sharing Our Stories, Magic in a Blog. Each week there is an invitation to write in a small community of writers who toss stories into the world and encourage one another. It isn't a competition or a challenge. It is simply an invitation. If you're thinking about trying your hand at poetry this month, feel free to join us at Sharing Our Stories, Magic in a Blog. In the classic classroom section, you'll find Gretchen Schrader outlines a way to involve the entire school community in writing poetry. I love this article called A Poetry Path and the way that it really engages a whole school in poetry. Mandy Robeck shares the power of publishing poetry with her young writers. The pictures in this article are gorgeous and Mandy really helps us Think about how we can use publishing to uplift the words um, of young writers. Christy Rush Levine is leading her eighth graders in a choral reading and analysis of the E.E. Cummings poem Old Age Sticks. It's an encore video from 2016. And finally just a reminder not to miss the new field experience course Writing Poetry with Elementary Writers. It will help elementary writers develop the mindset and tools to dip into poetry in their notebooks. Our Leaders Lounge collection is fantastic this week. There's a coaching minute from Inga Omandi where she's talking about the mini hats that instructional coaches wear and how it's necessary to remove the ones that are not serving the greater good. Matt Rinwick has a new article where he masterfully outlines a complexity of public education. We are constantly making decisions on behalf of our students and they rarely fully meet every kid's needs. Knowing these limits and keeping students at the center of decision making, as opposed to the loudest calls to action from parents, ensures a more equitable educational experience for all you won't want to miss the, Matt's article. We're also sharing an encore article from Melanie Meehan where she shares some of her favorite templates for flexible lesson planning with teachers. I thought that this article is especially helpful for working with teachers on a poetry unit. And finally, we're highlighting the limits of levels, expanding the boundaries of how we assess young readers, a course with Cass, Kathy Muir. It's all about how knowing a child's reading level is an invaluable tool, and a level can be a first step in assessing readers and planning instruction, but a level can also quickly become an anchor that limits thinking about where children are as readers and what might be next. Rely on levels too much, and you might miss gaps in reading skills and strategies necessary for continued growth. Kathy shows how levels can help and hinder teachers, as well as alternatives for assessing needs and grouping students. This is a course where Kathy really reaches into the tension and complexities of using levels uh, to help guide our instruction. The Choice Literacy Book Club met and talked about The Proudest Blue. I'm so excited to share this conversation with you. Choice Literacy Book Club has come together to talk about The Proudest Blue, which is the March book club pick. Kate and Tara have chosen the book, and we're joined by Bitsy Parks and Christy Rush-Levine. Hi, everyone.
1: Hi. Hi, Ruth. We're really excited to talk with you guys about The Proudest Blue, a story of Hijab and Family by Ibtihaj Muhammad. Um, we... Thought we'd start by talking about ways that we could use the story as a narrative mentor text. One thing I noticed um, when I was reading it with students was thinking about how she uses phrases throughout the book to show the change in the setting, the time, or place. So there's one that says, like the next day, and then one later says in class. And then one at the end of the text. Um, Let's see, maybe like later, after school, comma. And it reminded me. I think I've used those shoes that way too, with like phrase, easy phrases for kids to use to show changes in time or place in their
2: writing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that would be a a great way to use it too. Just to try to think about how to shift, how to transition in narrative writing you know, for kids.
3: Um, one of the things that I noticed that I was trying to figure out, and I thought it was kind of, um, it might be something that students could figure out, like a good conversation to have, and I haven't had this conversation yet. Um, the way that the end pages and the title, page, the dedication page kind of start the story where you get this sense um, of, of setting, of place, so that when the story begins, they can just jump into what's happening. Um, And that's something that's unique to the format of picture books, but I think it would be interesting to think about how we could get creative about kind of embedding those details in narrative so that we could just, so the story itself moves forward quickly, um, but how can we set the scene without starting just with a description of setting, um, but kind of weave those details in. Um, because I think that's one of the the features I love the most is you're already starting the story. Like it invites you in from that very first cover page turn. Um, and I think that we can do that with words as well.
2: Yeah, that's so true. Um, Kate was noticing that right before we we got on the call at the beginning. I haven't even looked at the the ending page yet to say. I love
4: that point also, Christy, because I tend to be a fast reader when I'm reading picture books on my own, and I don't think I always take the time to study that until I'm reading it to students. So I think it's such a good reminder for myself, but also to teach students to do that as they're reading, and then yes, to include it in their own writing as well. Right, so uh, it to like linger and study the pictures a little bit, right, and how they add to the story. Mm -hmm. And how they can use that when they're writing their narratives, how they can start their story sooner.
0: Well, and with our youngest writers, I like to, you know, when they're making books, um, their initial um, page to really be more of like a title page. And I could see them, you know, creating the setting on that title page. And that would help them then just think through. um, It it really would be some of the planning of, of their story. So I didn't, I didn't notice that either, Christy, until you said it, but I did notice the way that it jumped right in to the action. You know, like it reminds me, Ralph Fletcher talks about, you know, like starting the story where the waterfall goes over the cliff. And I was thinking about how this started right in the middle of action, which is sometimes hard to get kids to do.
2: Yeah, that's true. They're like right in the store. there, already discussing um, the hijab. The other thing that was really standing out to me, I think it's because of where I am right now at seventh grade, we just finished up reading um, Jason Reynolds, Long Way Down. And we have someone coming in who's doing spoken word poetry with us. We've been talking a lot about figurative language. So when, when I was going back through this the second time, I really started to notice how much figurative language there is. I think someone had written in the Padlet, I'm not sure who about even the title being personified, but there's personification all throughout it, and so much metaphor. Like, there's so many different ways. Oh, her hijab smiles at me the whole way. Like, there's personification. And then all throughout, um, just all these comparisons, like Asaya's hijab is no whisper. Asaya's hijab is like the sky and a sunny day. And I like the way that it, it says, like, what it is and what it isn't, like, in the metaphor. And it's just like really beautiful stuff that goes along with the illustrations as well.
1: Right, we were also thinking like on all of the pages where um, th- they have like the reflections or close-ups of Assia's hijab that they, she uses um, like this repetition structure like each time, right? She says what Assia's hijab isn't and then what it is. Um, and she does that like all Three times, I think, right Yeah. It. Um. So even just like that structure for kids might be something fun to play with, and then
2: like layering in the figurative language yeah, that she uses with the repetition, and then coming, you know, repetition, and then putting in the different kinds of figurative language, different comparisons.
4: I really noted that um, repetitive structure as well, and those pictures on those pages um, are different than the pictures in the rest of the book, which is so um, great to draw the attention to it. I think students can really see it, even at a young age, how that repetition comes in and how they use the pictures in a different way um, to show, really, the feeling, I think, the emotion on those pages. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: When you were talking about that, Bitsy, um, I think with older writers, one of the things that um, they can learn to do that's, that's powerful is when we break that pattern, you know, like, so you have the repetition and then you break it. And I was just thinking about how it, how you can see it broken in the picture, like in the illustration um, each time. And sometimes I think when we see things in the illustration, then it's easier to learn to do it in the words. Um, and I hadn't thought about using the book that way with older writers. So
3: I hadn't thought about this before, um, Ruth, but in the pictures, you also see an echo of the the repetition structure. Um, So like even there's a two page spread that starts recess time is for five cartwheels in a row um, which is a sentence I just love as a mentor sentence to kind of play with. Um, but I also loved on that page, the way you see five um, versions of our protagonist. So like we see her again and again, repeated on the page as an illustration. Um, and even that is interesting to me because we know there's not five of her, but the repetition shows movement. So even like where we see the power of the repetition in the words. We also see power of repetition in the way it can be used when you repeat an image um, Mm -hmm. across a page like that. And I have that two page spread, I just love for so many reasons, um, especially because you see the characters who are um, being mean and I just love the way they're represented in the illustrations just as kind of outlines or shadows. Like Mm -hmm. they're not even, we're not gonna give power to them or their words Um, and it's so beautifully represented that's like figurative image to me
2: (laughs) yeah and I know when I read that with kids they notice that right away um that's shadowy because that's repeated too like whenever that happens whenever um whenever those characters are there and they're bullying or teasing they have them in the same way like shadow like they don't give them they don't give them a face um and kids notice that so I think that that's that's important
0: can we talk about those those mean kids a little bit or those bullies because mm-hmm. like it's not a dark shadow though right like there's like these sprinkles of of light in them and I was so intrigued but what I was really curious about and I like I don't have an answer so but like how would you do that in words because I agree like it just diminished their power so they're still there and they're they're bothersome right but they're, and I was just wondering like what craft techniques would would do that in words?
3: Um, does anybody have any ideas?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think
3: there's a page where um, what's coming out of the boy's mouth is like just a mess of scribbles.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Um,
3: and so we don't even, and it just says the, and I think that's an that's an example where it is done in the words as well. It says, it takes me 48 steps to get away from the yelling boy. We're not going to say what he's yelling. It's not important. So I think that's a way that you can do it in words where we acknowledge that exists, but we're not going to give power to the words by actually naming them on the page.
1: So it's like more of a summary than <laughs> writing I mean, like the words we would use with our students was like writing it in the moment, like it was happening. It's not doing that. It's like summarizing what happened and moving on.
3: Yeah, I almost think it's like a paraphrase instead of giving the kid a quote, you're going to paraphrase mm-hmm. him and <laughs> put it in.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Well, and it's also For focused purpose. on the positive action,
0: right? Like, is it 42 steps, 47 steps? So sure. it's like, what am I doing? Or what's that main character doing? Or if it's memoir, what am I doing to to move away from that? Yeah. Um, So that's another way to think about, you know, because we talk about specificity and that sort of thing. And I think sometimes, um, like when I'm thinking about writing stories from my own life, where maybe there's some hard things that are happening, like, right, part of that process is just like reflecting and figuring out like, well, what, what story is mine to tell and what story is somebody else's? And I think like what you just described is, well, those mean words, that's not her story to tell her story is I got away from it so that would be that's an mm-hmm. interesting way to think of it
2: mm-hmm. in
0: words to do that in words
4: well and the mom kind of tells them that doesn't she doesn't she say mm-hmm. those aren't your words you drop them to the ground and move she on does and say
1: something. Mm-hmm, something like that right drop them they're not yours to keep they belong only to those who said them mm-hmm.
3: that always makes me think of um signposts come to mm-hmm. mind right away the notice in note signposts of Kylene Beers and Bob Prost, because that's a very clear words of the wiser mm-hmm. that keep popping into the story and impacting what she's thinking inside, but also their actions.
2: Yeah. And her reaction to things we were talking about those words before. Cause I was like, is that a flashback? I'm like, it's not a flashback. And we're like, it's her inner thinking, but it's her mom's words." So I think that's a better way to think about it. It's like those words, words of the wiser, even though mom's not right there on the page, mama. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: I thought it was a fascinating craft move um, there because it's clear, like she's remembering, you know, it's she's remembering, but it's really become the fiber of who she is, but the way they do that. So mama is in regular font, it's a colon, and then it's this italicized, um, really words of the wiser, if we wanted to use that terminology. Mm-hmm. I, I just was really intrigued by that craft move because there's no like leading up to it really is just kind of dropping in what what mama had said and i i don't know i don't know i was thinking how f- i would really like to try to play with that sort of move in my own
2: writing right like how you're impacted and react to someone else's words even when they're not there
4: mm-hmm. um yeah and and that's repetitive also isn't it mom's mama's mm-hmm. words maybe it's like three times
2: maybe Right
4: on each of the hijab pages.
2: Mm-hmm. Is it three? I love the the power three.
4: Yeah. <laughs> um did anyone else notice or make note of um the numbers? You know, how many steps, how many cartwheels? Yeah, we yeah, couldn't figure out what time. it was
2: though. What do you, do Me you neither. think
4: they significance?
2: Right. The 14 steps, 14 light ups to get across, and then
4: five, five, five
2: cartwheels or five, yeah and then 48 steps to get away.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: I think it's 27 steps too that she does at some point like to, put, to cross the playground to where um, Asia is.
0: I thought that was just really characterization. Like I I know people who they, they count, like they just, everything they do is they count. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, yeah. oh, she's a counter. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there's something deeper than that. I was thinking that too, Ruth. But then I did go back and try and think: was there something significant about it? Like, what was it tied to a big emotion, or when um, you know she was making a move in some way? But I couldn't, I couldn't tie it into anything.
3: This isn't really about craft, but I was just struck um, reading the story. By, I mean, you have three strong, powerful female characters, which is awesome. Um, But that relationship between the sisters, kids respond to so um, just vividly, like they can see um, their role as an older sister through the younger sister's eyes or as an older sibling, I guess, through the younger sister's eyes. And then also those of them that are younger siblings are like, yeah, that's how I feel about my older siblings. Like, but I wouldn't never let them know it, you know, um, because that admiration is just so raw and real um, between the sisters and mm-hmm. that the older one truly is in that, like, she's a role model and she's um, protective, I think, of the younger one. Like, we're not going to let it bother us and get upset. Um and it's just such a—it's exactly what the subtitle says. It's a beautiful story of family.
2: Yeah, I guess it's like there's so many entry points for kids um, to see themselves in the story, like as a younger sister, as an older sister. Um, I had a student. I think I might have either written this or said something about it before. But our our school is not very diverse, and we have a student who will start wearing. I have a student who will start wearing hijab. Student, she's in the sixth grade, and. So I had read the story already to my seventh grade class. And then I read it to the sixth grade class that the student was in. And before we had read, we were independent reading. And I had asked, asked them to write a post-it about something that was surprising to them in their independent books. And then we came to this. And at the end of class, she walked up to me with a post-it. And it said something that might surprise you is that I will be getting my hijab soon. And I'm going to wear blue. And my mother's name is Asya. And my mother's friend's name is Fiza, So, and she wrote it all on this post-it like, because she, I, it was such a connection for her, you know, to see to see herself in a story and really feel like she's like, gosh, I really do feel like I'm seeing myself here, mm-hmm. you know? So that was really, really, it was just great. But I feel like there's so many ways for kids to enter into this as a sister, as someone who's been bullied, you know, who's someone who's seen bullying. Like there's a lot of different, different ways for kids to see themselves in this story.
3: I also think it's important. I have a student as well who wears hijab in sixth grade and was just lit up while we were reading the story um, and then said, you know, I used to not um, want to identify as Muslim because, I, and she said, I think it's because of the way that I saw Muslims represented. It was mm-hmm. never a good thing um, and was so excited to see a positive representation. But I also, in the past, um, we had a, a teacher who wears hijab and students were so excited to see the teacher represented on the page. So I think it's just as important um, that they see others. Like, as students who live in a world where there are people wearing hijab, this is a positive story. So, even if they're not seeing themselves, the fact that they're seeing the world represented, um, even if we have a classroom that doesn't have anybody who wears hijab, mm-hmm. certainly it's something to be aware of. And, you know, a lot of students have seen people on TV and may not feel a connection. Um, But this is a story that kind of then bridges that
4: connection so that students can understand. I think that's so true, Christy. and I actually have a first grader who wears one and so when I shared this book with the help of um, my first grader. I felt like the rest of the class was so grateful for the information. You know, they were like learning about the world was huge to them. They were they were quiet, they were totally attentive, they asked questions, and I feel like it just answered a lot of unknowns for them when they see that now out in the world, or when they see that in school, or when they see that on teachers. And so it was, um, and I think my student who wears one was just so relieved to have a book help explain it, because it's hard to explain, you know, and having a book give them the words. um, I felt like everyone just had this big sigh of relief, and honestly, a lot of happiness, like I felt like it was just a really joyful, um, we can continue on, we understand each other now.
2: Yeah, no, I think that is really important. Um, I was also thinking about the student that I had when I was reading the book. I think the way that I was saying um there was a couple of couple of words that I mispronounced. And one of them was was Asia. And and she had corrected me. So she felt really confident too, and like, you know, I think that felt really good to her to be like that she was an expert in things like like the names and and pronunciations, and she felt really comfortable saying that. And so. I thought that was great too.
4: It's just so joyful when you can see students take on that role, isn't it? You just feel, you just feel so happy for them and relieved for them, I think.
0: I love, I love hearing these, the stories, like how it, it is, because I think um, sometimes when we're in places where everybody does look alike, it's hard to understand why a book can be so powerful and why it is so powerful to see um, just different different kinds of people, different people represented in books and what that does um, to someone. Um, My son Jordan, um, when he read some of Jason Reynolds' books for the first time, he was like, like it was the first time that he was seen Black characters represented in now time. So a lot of the books that were in his, pla- in his hands were like, they were historical representations. And it just like, when you were saying joyful, it, it was just like, so joyful, like here I am in a book. Um, and I, it makes the world so much smaller and happier, right? Like, um, mm-hmm. So I'm really glad that you took some time just to share those stories because if somebody hasn't experienced it yet, um, it's just good to know the the power of of a story and being able to see um, to see yourself and see people that you love or see people that you encounter um, in books.
3: The author's note is inspiring too. That's one of those pieces. I think as a kid, I always thought I was done with the story and skipped the author's note. Um, mm-hmm. But being able to really read how many connections the author has to the story that it really is representative of um, some very specific pieces of her world. I I just absolutely love that. That makes a a book come to life for students, too. Mm -hmm. I love the author, too. too. And, Christy,
0: I find it... um... I just am really glad that you shared that about when you were a kid and you skipped them because when I was a kid and I came to an author's note, I got so excited because I was like, "The story's <laughs> not over yet. There's more. <laughs> like, I love them, um, even from like really early childhood. And this one is a special, special one. I think you said it's, it's inspiring and it really is just a, a great, um, a great note, a letter to share with with kids.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Do we want to go around and just share some final thoughts um, about the, the book? And while we do that, why don't you introduce yourself where you're from, what you what life is like for you in school? And we'll just uh, kind of wrap up our conversation that way.
2: Um, I'm Tara Barnett. I'm from Fairhaven, New Jersey, and um, we chose this book tonight. It's a book that I've used in sixth and seventh grade. And one of the things that I loved is when I mentioned it to Kate that she had been using it in younger grades. So I love books like that that can be used across grade levels like this. And then we found so many other things to talk about tonight on ways and ways to use it that I just love also. Um, All those conversations so nourishing.
1: Um, I'm Kate Mills. I'm in Red Bank, New Jersey. I'm a K-5 literacy coach. And for me too, right, like, of course, like we've talked about um, any books that are windows or mirrors for kids, I think are so important, but also books that we can return to over and over again and like use like in infinite ways. And I, this is for sure one of those books. I'm
3: Christy Rush Levine. I teach sixth grade language arts um, outside of Chicago. And one of the things that struck me tonight, I was... Um, reading the book with students for, I think, since it came out. Um, So I've been thinking about the um, connection between the illustrations and the words, but Ruth's comments tonight made me really think about just the conventions of the text itself, like looking at where the italics are used and how the colon is used. Um, And so going back in and kind of focusing on just the text, I think, um, deserves some attention as
4: well. My name is Bitsy Parks. I teach first grade outside of Portland, Oregon. And um, I loved that you chose this book because I attended a um, talk, I think it was last summer maybe, by Grace Lynn. And her talk was focused on um, her belief that books are the answer to helping us understand each other and um, be more inclusive. And so when I used this book in my classroom, when I read it with my class, it was for a specific. situation. And I really felt like it was the answer. I feel like it did change hearts and minds. And so, um, now it's just this beloved text within our library that all the kids are constantly, um, chasing after, you know, who has it, when do we get it next, Mm -hmm. um, that in other books as well, but I felt like it just really illustrated, um, what Gracelyn was speaking about and what I think we all believe, but getting to see it in action is, um, joyful. I'm going back to that word. It was just so joyful and heartwarming and fulfilling.
0: My name is Ruth Ayers. I'm in Northern Indiana and the editor at Choice Literacy. Um, and yeah, I'm taking away that, that joy, but also I am just itching to write and to try some of those things that we were we're talking about. Um, there's been something I've been wanting to write, but it's like a tough conversation, and I'm really looking forward to like seeing how I can kind of sidestep those hard words and um, still move the story forward and still reach um, like the the theme or the meaning that I want to reach. So I'm I'm excited about that. Uh, so next month uh, is next month is April, and the featured contributor is Stephanie Affinito. Um, And she chose a brand new book that I think maybe nobody has yet. It's Apple and Magnolia. I don't know if you're familiar with this. Um, The back cover says unusual friendships can be the most powerful of all. And Apple and Magnolia are trees um, that are growing right next to each other. And so I'm really looking forward to reading this book together and just having more of a conversation about about what it means uh, for us and for kids and that just having that conversation um do you know it have you read it
4: the bitsy's read it yes mm-hmm. i've read it and i love it i'm always attracted to books about trees and um, there is a lot of good stuff in here to talk about mm-hmm. it's a great choice okay.
0: At Choice Literacy, we know that you want to be an educator who makes students' lives better through literacy. In order to do that, you need access to comprehensive literacy practices delivered in a way you will actually use. With over 150 in-the-field contributors, we understand the pressure to reach a variety of needs and not enough time to do it which is why we hold true to workshop tenets like Choice and share practical ways to plan and deliver literacy instruction straight to the point of student need. You can find links to all of the articles discussed in the show notes or sign up for the Big Fresh so you can have the links delivered directly to your inbox. Keep growing readers and writers by offering Choice in Literacy.